I want to talk a little bit about justice. I want to give you a little bit of a, an update on the different areas where we're partnered around the world. Do you remember our whole mission structure, our whole direction behind missions is fewer partnerships, but deeper relationships with those partners. And we have a few partnerships around the world and, uh, and those partnerships over the years are definitely deepening, uh, as we, uh, as we kind of go through time and as we kind of share in the ministry together. And so you'll know that we have, uh, we have this amazing partnership in Uganda with pastor Stephen Trent, uh, over the years, there are now over 500 children in this school. When I was there last year, there were only 300, there's 200 more kids, uh, than, than last year. And so we're praying and God for that. And you guys have been amazingly involved in that process. Those children are sponsored and supported by people in this church. 500 kids at $200 a child. You do the math. That's a big financial commitment to that particular ministry. Uh, But it's life transforming because these children are getting a chance to have a really fantastic education. They're growing in the Lord. They're being fed. They're being cared for. Uh, We're building dorms where we can eventually, you know, house several of the kids as well. In fact, a lot of the kids are living in the, in the school now. I mean, they just don't have any place to live, so they're actually living in the classrooms. Uh, that's how great the, uh, the need is there. And so we're really excited about, about that project and all that's been going on there. But also in Indonesia, we've had this unique partnership where we're utilizing uh, Ron Linegar and Kim Linegar in, in building business models. It's business as mission, trying to build mission that, that, that creates relationship, just like in, in the business world is, is ultimately relational. And, and we believe that if we have strong businesses and, and that are godly, they can communicate the truth of the gospel in places where it's a little harder to communicate uh, boldly because of the oppression that exists there. And so Ron and Kim are, are, are off doing that. They've been doing that for a number of years, ever since the tsunami in 2004. Uh, and then in Nicaragua, we have this amazing relationship where, where we're involved with ministering to the needs of children who live in the dump. And that's their whole existence. Many of these kids really don't know a world outside of the city dump. They've been born there. They live there. That's, that's all they know. And yet our team goes and brings hope and plays with them and just it communicates the amazing love of Christ with them. And then we've got this relationship in Belize with a school there. We're investing not only in the children, but also with the teachers. And, and such profound things are happening there that this school firmly believes that in the next 10 to 25 years, these are the kids that are going to, that are going to be the significant leaders in Belize and lead it into the next, the next generation. Uh, very, very important, important work. Uh, and then our relationship in Haiti, you know, we've been involved there for the last couple of years since the earthquake, and God's been doing some amazing stuff there. We've been partnered with different different uh, orphanages and different uh, different groups. We've been doing microfinance things there as well to help that country recover after after the horrible earthquake. And it's been really, really hard work. If you've been following the story of kind of what's been going on in Haiti, we know Haiti's a really, really difficult place to get anything done. And yet God's seeing us, seeing us through that. Uh, and then in Malawi, we've had two different water projects. We've, we've funded and supported the, the construction of, of two wells. And wells and water are life-giving uh, ministry. And it's radically transforming those communities. If you can imagine being in a situation where some people are walking up to five miles and further carrying a five-gallon jerry can for water, and that's their whole existence for water. And you have to do that every day in order to survive. But then suddenly in your community, you now have a well in your community. You no longer have to carry water anymore. Can you imagine how, how transformative that is for your life 
and what hope that communicates. Uh, it, it radically changes, changes lives. You know, and then in Cambodia, we've been partnered with Don and Bridget Brewster uh, uh, through uh, AIM, uh, Agape International Mission, and as they address that, that very horrible issue of sex trafficking in that country. And we sent our first team there last year, and we're going to send another team here this fall. Um, just loving on uh, these girls that are, that are victims of this heinous crime. Uh, really, really hard work, really, really messy stuff, and yet God's called us to be a part of that. Uh, New Orleans, continue to help that city recover. Uh, we've been sending teams there over and over and over again. We'll send another team hopefully this fall in order to continue that project. Uh, even locally, uh, we've been partnered with First Street School in Lincoln. We've been investing in not only the, the kids there by, with mentoring programs, but investing in the teachers there as well. Um, we kind of come alongside the teachers, let them know that on their worst day, uh, they have someone who's praying for them here at Bridgeway. Uh, that's a powerful influence into, into that community. Uh, Love Inc., you know, once a year, uh, we are the, kind of the church of the week, and we get to help in that process of kind of dispersing God's stuff to people who maybe don't have as much and, are, and find themselves in really desperate situations. Um, that's an incredible, incredible work. Uh, Nevaeh's Hope, it's a, a, a ministry to, to single moms. Uh, powerful work there, transformative stuff. When you come alongside someone and communicate that, that you're valuable and we care about you and we want to help, and support you in, in life's um, tremendous uh, struggles. Uh, communicates a lot about who God is and where he meets us. I've been partnered with IJM for another year, uh, for, for several years, International Justice Mission, as they fight slavery and sex trafficking around the world. We support them uh, every single year from our mission budget. Uh, in addition, uh, Courage House, uh, Courage to Be You. Uh, I get the opportunity to sit on the board of that fine organization and uh, really amazing, transformative work that's going on there with, with victims of sex trafficking. Um, there are now six girls in the house. The house is, fully, is full, and uh, the youngest girl there is 12. 12. Uh, but there's great success there as well. I mean, the, one of the girls graduated from high school just this year, and, and she is the first person in her family ever to graduate high school. Not college, high school. Uh, amazing new new transformative things going on. So we've got all these amazing partnerships, and there's more than just than just those. And so God's called us to be involved in these things. But this morning, I want to be very clear about why we're involved in all this stuff. Uh, the why behind what we're doing is is almost as important as what we do. I mean, what we do is really really important. But if we fail to understand the why behind it, I think we really um, sell God short in giving him glory for what he's, how he's using us. And then I think we miss out on some of the blessing that's associated with a lot of the things that we do. And so there can be a lot of motivations behind doing good things. But if we're going to understand this crazy word justice, it's a really multifaceted word. And as you kind of turn it over, as you kind of mull it over, as you kind of look at it in different, different angles, you find out that there's an awful lot that makes up uh, this word. But we've got to understand why we're doing stuff. Is it just because it feels good? Uh, is, it, is it just uh, to be charitable? Uh, to do something that's good and something that's right? Something that's righteous? Um, is, is that enough? Or is there, is there even more to that, to that word? Uh, there's a word that kind of floats around culture today, and it's, it's that word social justice. And that word kind of freaks us out a little bit because ultimately social justice deals with relationship among people. 
And basically it comes from a position of there's people that have a whole lot and have opportunity and there's people that have very little and no opportunity. And the ones that have a lot and have opportunity should be helping those that, that don't have and, and don't have as much opportunity. And I think that can be, de- be done in a very, very healthy way. But we kind of struggle with that because it sounds like socialism and so we kind of get wrapped up and hey i've worked really hard for my stuff and that guy doesn't work at all how come that has that fair and so it kind of gets kind of muddled and so i don't like that term as much as i like the term biblical justice and so biblical justice brings in a lot of those same concepts but includes the idea that really what we're about is not so much social change we're about changed lives we're about changing lives into the you know further into the the image and purpose of christ um, that's really what, what we're about. Uh, and so what is justice? We, we had a video a, a couple weeks ago, about a month or so ago, and, and we asked several of our staff members and a lot of people who are in the office, we just asked them, what is justice to you? And there were some, some really good answers, right? There was, there was Ryan Haynes who said, justice is when Batman catches the bad guys, right? And I thought that was, that was a good answer. You know, I like, the, I like the legal law justice, you know, bring him to, bring him to justice type, type side of that, of that element. Uh, but there was one comment that didn't make the video, and I really wish it did. It was, it was Brian Lisk. He's back on sound. He said, uh, justice is every time the New York Yankees lose. <clears throat> and I thought, that's awesome. I feel the same way about the Dodgers, uh, you know. And, um, but it brought, it brought to mind a really important, important deal, which is justice is often in the eye of the beholder. Right? I mean, Brian's an amazing Red Sox fan, and yeah, every time the, the Yankees lose, it's, it's justice. But I've got to think about every war that's been, that's been in our history, right? Both sides feel awfully just. And so this is a really odd term to have to wrestle with. It's a really difficult, multi-complex word to try to wrestle through. Uh, is justice merely desire to change the world? I think that's part of it. I mean, justice involves change because we see so much injustice in the world. We see things that, that should not be and they should be different. And so it obviously in, involves that, that, that change. And we know that Jesus is, is in the world. He's, he's, he's working through us and that Jesus is ultimately is the one who will redeem it. He's ultimately the one that will, that will save it. We're not the ones saving anything. Uh, Jesus is doing all the, all the change, but he's involving us in that process. That's a mystery to me. I don't know why God chooses to work that way. You know, I know he could do it all by himself, and yet he chooses to involve us in that process. And it is really, really awesome. I think we can change the world merely by imitating Christ. We're called to be imitators of Christ Jesus. And I think when we act in just ways, we are imitating Christ. We're merely imitating what he was about. Is, is justice compassion? I think that's part of it. Is it is it mercy? Is it benevolence? Is it human rights? Is it love? That's a weird one, right? Love and justice. How do those things exist together, right? We think that those are so on opposite ends of, of a continuum. There's love and then there's justice, right? There's the sweet side and there's this really mean side, right? But they're actually fused together. They're actually intertwined together. I don't think you can have real justice without 
real love with it. And, and I used to really struggle with that. I understood it in concept, but until you see it firsthand, it doesn't really make sense. And so the closer I get to people who are kind of living in this, this world of justice constantly, whether they're, they're missionaries in the field like, like Pastor Steve or whether they're um, people who um, are with IJM and they're living in this world where they're constantly rescuing people from very dire situations – these are some of the most love-filled people that I've ever been around. And yet they carry a burden with them that is unique in all the world, and they want nothing more than to see perpetrators brought to justice. Those things mush together and are beautiful together. Uh, is, it, is, is justice equity? Is, is it equality? I think that's a piece of it. Is it, is it harmony? Is it, is it fairness? Is it a, a right ordering of relationships? Uh, I think it's all of that. So you see, the, this word justice is multifaceted. As you kind of turn this thing over, it just kind of every way you turn it, it looks a little different. So I think it's really important if we're going to understand this word justice, that we've got to understand it from multiple sides and not just one particular viewpoint. Um, this is really important because I think I think justice, too, is a lot like truth. Uh, justice is a lot like truth in that truth is that, is that logical fabric that says what is. The truth just states what is. But then you bring justice alongside it, and justice recognizes the truth, but then says it should be different. It should look different. I understand what's true, but I'm not sure that should be true, and so we should strive for something different. That's, that's how justice and truth work together. In Psalm 9, we get this picture of, 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 of the Lord. And, and it says, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it real quick. It says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He's established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And so we see here that God's whole throne, his whole majesty, his whole kingdom is established for justice. And we realize that, that justice, that, that this is not just something that, that God does, but this is who God is. It's a part of his character. It's, 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 it's who he is. It's of his very being to be just. And it can be nothing else. And so God is just. And so if we want to really imitate Christ, if we really want to know who God is, we've got to understand this justice. We've got to understand what it's about because his whole kingdom has been established for justice. And so justice is this, is this absolute theological necessity. We can't understand God accurately unless we understand, understand justice. But ultimately, we have a hard time with justice. Because as we really think about changing the world, as we think about engaging with these issues, they're messy, right? And we know they can be messy. Uh, those of you that have been around a little while, you'll remember that um, we've been involved in this, in this orphanage in Haiti. And we realized that some really awful things were going on in that orphanage. I mean, from day one, it didn't really smell right, but it took us a while to figure out what was going on. Come to find out, kids are being trafficked. Kids are being killed for their organs. Really awful things are going on in this place. And we became a leading part of a consortium of people in this, in this country that said that should not be. It should be different. And we were successful in shutting that place down earlier this year. Was it messy? 
yeah, it was really messy because kids went disappearing in the process. We didn't know where all of them were. We sent Matt Leffler over there for a solid six weeks, and he was tracking kids down left and right. But at the end of the day, uh, evil was thwarted. Uh, a place was shut down. The, the perpetrators are in jail, and justice is being served, and children are in a much better place. And we praise God for that. But it's, it, it's messy, right? And so, so many times I think, well, I, you know, I want things to be just, but there's so many things that are dangerous, and yeah, I, don't, I don't know that I want to be involved. That's, you know, I'm not sure that's what I'm, I kind of like my little life here, you know, I kind of, you know, and I've got enough to handle myself right now, right? And we, we tell ourselves that, that kind of stuff, but the reality is that God's called us to act in, in ways that are just. I think, too, that sometimes religion gets in the way of justice. You know, religion says that I want to do enough to kind of appease God, you know, so I'm willing to, to do some stuff, but ultimately I want to do the minimum there so then I can go live the rest of my life and do what I want to do on my agenda. That's religiosity. But that creates enormous problems for, for justice because justice will be the thing that gets left out. That's the thing that we're not really interested in, in, in doing because it's, it, it's difficult. We see this played out very clearly in Matthew 23, 23. Um, we're going to look at another set of verses here in a moment, so I won't have you turn here. But Matthew 23, 23 says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So what Jesus is saying here is, hey, you Pharisees, you scribes, you guys are absolute hypocrites. Because you know what? You go through the nth degree to tithe of the most common and least valuable parts of your crops. Dill cumin, mint. These things are very, very available. They're not valuable. And yet you'll, you know the law so succinctly. You know exactly what it's about. And you'll go to the nth degree to make sure that you tie the tenth of even those things. And yet for some reason, there isn't a translation into your desire for law that translates into justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus says those things should exist together. You should be about doing what God says, but it should lead you to a point of wanting to do justice and be merciful and be faithful. Sometimes I like to take scripture like that because we think, well, that was obviously addressed to the Pharisees. That was, you know, that that's that's not 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 for me, um, but it is. And we realize that scripture is amazingly applicable to our lives. And so I like to I like to kind of, you know, kind of spend some time with it and kind of re-rack it and make it personal. And so I, I wrote this. I wrote, uh, hey, Bridgeway, uh, you're doing awesome in being diligent, receiving God's word. And Lance's teaching is, is great uh, each and every weekend. And, and, and you guys are, are soaking it up. You're, you're, you're devouring God's word, and it's changing you. It, it's being absolutely transformative. And you should be doing this. This is right, and this is just. But don't forget that you have to put what you're learning into practice. And so as a church, we've always said that we wanted to be a church that was very systematic about how we taught Scripture, that we wanted to be a place of great teaching, and, and God has provided that. 
Um, But the last thing we want to be is just a place of learning. We want to be a place of transformation where people leave here because of the understanding of God's word and the power in it. It leads us to a a place of doing something entirely different and doing things for for, for Christ. And so so we we want to make sure that we're about that. And so this word is just is for us as much as it is for the Pharisees. Uh, justice in many senses. If I was to take that multifaceted word and, and hopefully boil it down to something maybe we can get our arms around is the word neighborliness. What is it to be neighborly? Because Jesus says we should love our neighbor. And ultimately, when we love our neighbor, that's an act of justice. That, that's a justice moment. Uh, I think that if we were truly neighborly, uh, there would be less war. There would be less famine. There would be less poverty. Um, there would be less crime. Uh, if we were truly understand the degree and depth to which we're called to be neighborly. And that's a word in our context, in our society. Being neighborly has like no power at all. And yet, scripturally... This is, this is a powerful moment because we understand what it is to be neighborly. We find out it's really hard. It's really difficult to do. And it's something that, that brings honor to God. And so this morning, we're going to look at Luke 10.25. Uh, Luke 10.25, it's page 869 in your Bible, in the, uh, in the Blue Bible. Uh, Luke 10.25, it is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there is a lot that is packed into these several verses. And there's this really great conversation that's happening between Jesus and a lawyer, a person of the law. And, and it's, it's, it's rife with kind of undercurrent. There's a, there's a lot that's kind of being said that's not necessarily just outright being said in the story. And it's important to understand what, what, what these things are. Uh, Luke 10.25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up. Any lawyers here this morning? Nah, I didn't think so. That was a leading. That was a leading question. They're going. Yeah, I know how this story goes. I'm not going to admit to that. No, I get it. We have a lot of lawyers in our church. Um, you know what's funny is a lot of churches they end up being like you're either lawyer church or law enforcement church, and we got a good mix of both for some reason. I think that's awesome. It says, "And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test." So you understand where this whole thing is starting from, right? The guy's going to ask some good questions, but we're starting from a position of something that's rather twisted, something that's rather dark. The motivation here is not, is not authentic. Uh, we're dealing with a guy that has an agenda, and he thinks he's going to put Jesus to the test. And so he asks Jesus, he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a great question. That, that's a really good question that, that you should ask of the Son of God. That, that's a perfect question. But you understand what's happening here? The motivation is all screwy. And then he uses this term, teacher, which is a term of respect and adoration. And there's no respect here. This is a guy that has an agenda that wants to take Jesus to task. So he says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? This is really important. You see what Jesus just just did? Jesus took back control. Jesus said, I'm not going to be at your whim and just sit here and answer your questions because it makes you think you're in control. But what I will do is, hey, Mr. Lawyer, man, I got a question for you. You know the law. How do you see it? 
instantly he takes back control because he's the one that's ultimately in control. And the lawyer answered, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor is yourself. What the lawyer just did was he regurgitated an answer which he knows to be correct. There's no heart in it. It's not a heartfelt um, communication of something that this guy's daily trying to live out. I mean, he is, but he's missing an enormous piece of what is involved with doing that. He just regurgitated an answer, and, it, and it's absolutely accurate. It's absolutely correct. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. You've answered succinctly. Now do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. Now, if it were me, I think the conversation would probably end right there, because in essence, I just kind of got put in my place, right? But for some reason, this guy, it says, but the lawyer, desiring to justify himself... And I, I thought about this. I'm like, what is this guy trying to justify? What, what is he trying to justify in himself? And the only thing I can keep coming back to is somewhere in his heart of hearts, he knows that the answer that he just regurgitated to Jesus is really difficult. And it's really causing him some strain in his life as he tries to figure out what it is to do that. And so he says he tries to justify himself. And he says to Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? Now, this, too, is a really, really good question. Who is my neighbor? But there's a problem with the question, right? I mean, the more appropriate question would have been, Jesus, how can I be neighborly? That would have been a great follow-along question. But that's not the question that gets asked. The, the question that gets asked is, well, who's my neighbor? And he's coming at it from a perspective and a platform of, apparently, there are neighbors and there are non-neighbors. And Jesus is going to point out that that is, is an incorrect understanding. And so the guy asks, well, who is, who is my neighbor? The first time the guy asks a question, he gets another question. The second time this guy asks a question, he gets a story. Right? He gets this parable that's going to communicate and ultimately answer his question. It says, and Jesus replied, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I think contextually we can assume, I think fairly accurately, that the man being referred to here in this particular story is a man who is Jewish, who is a Jew. And it says that he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when it says down, it means down. Distance is 17 miles and the drop is 3,500 feet. So this is a pretty significant drop in elevation. It actually, Jericho is actually below sea level. And so major drop in, in elevation going on here, very rugged area, dangerous, secluded, rife for an opportunity for crime to occur. It says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So we've got the moment here where a crime has occurred, where injustice has, has happened. Now the beautiful thing about this story is this story really doesn't have anything to do with the crime. It has almost nothing to do with the perpetrators. Uh, isn't it interesting that in our society, in our culture, we spend an awful lot of time understanding the crime. Right? We've got all these shows, all these shows that talk about CSI and the investigation, and you know, we're very interested in what occurred and who was harmed, and my goodness, that's horrible. 
But we seem to waver when it comes time to understand the justice side. Very rarely do we pursue this out to the point where justice is being brought. I mean, sometimes. But for the most part, it kind of dies down after we understand what occurred. But this story has very little to do with that. It has very little to do with the crime committed or the perpetrators. It's about something else. So this man is left half dead. And so it now says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So this guy is a priest. This is a guy who who knows the law. He knows what it says. He's able to regurgitate the same answer because he knows that's exactly what's right. And yet, knowing this, he passes by on the other side of the victim. Now, the interesting thing is, and this is speculation, okay, (laughs) may not be exactly accurate, but here's the thing, right? It says this guy's going down the road. So if he's going down the road, he's traveling from Jerusalem to his home in Jericho. That would be very, that would be pretty common. But you can understand, this guy probably just spent his day doing his priestly duties in the temple in Jerusalem. The guy's basically coming from church, right? He's coming from doing the very thing that God's called him to do. And yet, even in that moment, even in that distance, he finds someone who's in need and he passes by on the other side. He, too, has failed to make that translation between what the law says and justice and mercy and faithfulness. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So now we have this hierarchical thing going on in the story. We've got the priest, who's basically in charge of everything that happens in the temple. And then we've got the Levite, who's kind of the assistant. He's, he, he's not a priest, but he kind of helps, helps the priest in his, in his duties. And we've got this hierarchical thing going on. The Levite comes by, and, and even he, being maybe of a, of a lesser of, of a lesser honor, of a lesser um, uh, priority and responsibility. Even he has not translated what the law says into his heart, into acts of justice and mercy and faithfulness. But it says a Samaritan. Now, this is a very interesting twist in the story, because you would think that we've got this hierarchical thing going on. We've got the priest, we've got the Levite, And if you're following the story to its completion, you would think the next guy up should be just your everyday Jew, right? You'd think that's the way the story would go. But the problem is in the story, our everyday Jew happens to be the victim. And so Jesus causes this massive twist in the story by bringing a Samaritan in who is a half Jew, who is an enemy of Jews. They don't get along. They, in essence, hate each other. And yet he brings a Samaritan into the story to communicate the truth of what God is about. It's really important because if it, if it went the other way, the, the lawyer could be left with the idea of, well, okay, good. My neighbor are people like myself who are Jewish, who are not my enemies, who, you know, of kind of of my order. But Jesus completely twists that and eliminates that from the argument by bringing a Samaritan into the story. It says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Instantly, this guy comes upon a a person in need, and he's filled with mercy, and he's filled with compassion. He goes, you know what? I can do something about this. I I can take the truth of what this situation is that I see, 
And we can make it something different because it should be different. And so he steps in and he starts, you know, kind of healing this guy and bringing, bringing um, gauze and bringing, you know, he, taking his wounds and, and treating them. But we see a lot of times with us, I mean, I, I've been in similar situations where you, you're, you're with someone who, who need, who's in need. And it's almost, my brain gets stuck in like first aid mode, right? It's like, well, let's, let's get you back where you're kind of okay, and then I'm going to step out. Because I got you, you're back okay, right? You know, you're, you, you were half dead before, and now I've helped a little bit, and maybe you're only three quarters dead now. Um, you know, that's kind of how, I don't know if you're like that. I kind of approach things like, okay, let's just get things back stable. But what we're about to see is an absolute extravagance in the approach to the care and the mercy and the compassion that's extended to this victim. He says, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He actually brings the guy with him to where he is going and brings him to an inn where he can be further cared for. And it says, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back absolute extravagance two denarii basically two days wages um this is a significant expense i mean he's really going that extra that extra extra mile in order to make sure that this guy is well taken care of that that his his true need and concern is 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 fully eliminated and he can bring not just kind of partial justice but full justice to this guy and really bring him back to where he's fully healed and the cool thing is he's got stuff to do. Maybe he's a business guy and he's going, hey, I've got, I got to go take care of some of my own stuff, but I'm going to leave two denarii with the innkeeper, kind of give him charge to make sure that this guy's taken care of. And even if the expense goes over what I've provided, I'm not abandoning anything. I'm coming back. And if there's more expenses, I'll take care of that too. Uh, this is an extravagant moment of compassion. And Jesus says, which of these three? Do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him again, you go and do likewise. Boy, it gets personal there at the end, doesn't it? He says, you go. It's different than the first time. The first time Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. This time, it's you go. You go and do likewise. We would like to think that today, when you leave, you would go, gosh, you know what? I want to be more like the Samaritan in my life. I want to seek justice in so many areas. And you know, now that I've understood this parable a little deeper and a little more succinctly, that should be a lot easier. Uh, I want to let you know, this is really hard. This is really, really difficult. Confession time, a little story happened to me recently. Uh, I had the opportunity to go up to Portland to a conference. Uh, it was the Justice Conference. It was the second year it was put on. About 4,000 people came together just to explore what it is to do justice in the world. And so lots of, you know, really amazing, good speakers. Uh, I heard from a guy named uh, Miroslav Volf, who's a, a theologian from Fuller Seminary. And he spent like about an hour breaking apart Second Peter. And he took apart two words, honor everyone. Honor everyone. He took that whole thing apart. Did a fantastic job. Rattled, rattled my head. And I've got all this stuff kind of bouncing around in my head. And so we break for dinner. And, and I'm there with uh, uh, Matt and Tiffany Leffler. I'm there with Ben and Courtney Smith. And uh, so we go off to dinner. And we're walking back from dinner. 
and we're walking along the sidewalk and kind of out of the corner of my eye, kind of, you know, kind of just behind me, I see someone who's kind of running across the road to come join us on the sidewalk. The problem became the curb. And the curb was there, and this guy tried to step up onto the sidewalk, and he did not, he tripped over the curb. And he was so drunk, so inebriated, that he made no effort to put his hands out to break his fall. He just fell headfirst onto the concrete. And he's laying there, and he's got, you know, a gash across the bridge of his nose. He's, he's bleeding. He's got a gash on his shoulder, his forearm. I mean, he hit really hard. And he was really, really in need. I confess to you that my first thought was, we don't have time for this guy. We have to get back to the conference. Francis Chan is speaking in 10 minutes. Right? We've got to get back to the conference. That is exactly the thought in my head. Thankfully, I was with others that were much more holy than I am. Tiffany Leffler's there. She's, she's in the medical field, right? And so she's instantly there going, oh my gosh, how can we help you? You know, she's, she's instantly there taking care of the bridge of his nose and she's got gauze and she's got band-aids and she's like prepared, you know, she's, she knows how to do this, right? And she's instantly caring for this guy and, you know, healing, you know, taking, you know, trying to fix his shoulder and all sort of stuff going on. I mean, instant compassion, instant mercy upon this guy. But then it got better. Then she asked the guy a very important question. She said, what's your name? She just gave the guy an opportunity to have an identity. She said, what's your name? He said, my name's Philip. Come to understand, Philip is homeless. Uh, he lives in a homeless camp in, in Portland. And, uh, and Philip likes dogs. He has a lot of dogs, and the dogs always bite him. So his street name is Chew Toy. <clears throat> but Philip's awesome, right? So we're getting to know Philip, and, and, but we're about to start down the road again to, to walk back to the conference. And Tiffany goes, why don't you walk with us? She takes him by the hand, walks hand in hand with him back to the conference until we get to the, the convention center. And then Philip goes his own way. What she just did is not only did she provide him an identity, but she allowed him to be a part of us. She brought him into our little tribe for a bit. That's powerful. That's a significantly different response than what, than what I had. I was so convicted uh, in that whole story uh, because it recognized that within my heart there hadn't been as much change as I thought it had been and that doing justice is way more difficult than, than we think. Why should we do justice? I mean, it's hard. It's difficult. It forces us out of our comfort zone in so many different ways. But I think it's vital. I think we all want to kind of help the kind-hearted person who, you know, finds themselves in desperate situations, who, who kind of got there on, on, on no fault of their own. It wasn't decisions that, that they made that led them to their desperation. It was just kind of life circumstances. And, you know, if we step in and help that person, they'll be, they'll be so gracious and they'll be so grateful and filled with joy. And they'll just, you know, they'll thank us and it'll be awesome. Uh, the problem is, is that that person almost doesn't exist. Uh, oftentimes people find themselves in desperate, unjust situations, sometimes because of poor decisions they've made. Um, sometimes not because of decisions they made, but you go and you help someone and they are not thankful. Uh, that's weird. But I think that's the truth. And I think some of that is what makes doing justice so incredibly difficult. But why 
do we do justice? I think the thing that we're finding is that we do justice because we want to imitate Christ. And so the reality is we made some poor decisions. We messed things up big time. It's called sin. And Jesus steps in and says, God the Father is, a, is, is just. And yet no one's getting away with anything. I'm going to take the, the whole punishment and pain for the sin of the world. I'm going to take that upon myself. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise in three days victorious over it. And we're going to be able to bring you back into a right relationship with God the Father. When we go out and we do just things in the world, it's not just because of charity and because it's a good thing to do. I mean, it is. But really what we're communicating to people is we've experienced some amazing justice in our own lives. And as we communicate those to others, as we want to communicate the good news to others around the world, we want to talk about the rescue that we've received. It's really hard to communicate that that to someone who's living a life of bondage, who's in slavery, who is locked in a world of sex trafficking, without giving them an opportunity to experience real, physical, tangible rescue. And then we're given the opportunity to communicate Not only is there physical rescue in this world, but there's spiritual rescue as well. And his name is Jesus. See, that's that's the reason. That's the why. That's the why behind everything that we're about. We have noticed that not only have we had a significant narrowing of, uh, not only a significant, uh, not a, a few partnerships in the world, but deep partnerships, that's been our strategy which means that there's a lot of really good stuff in the world that's going on that, that we just decided we can't be a part of. But I think the thing that we've discovered is that this, there is a lot of injustice in the world. There's too much injustice in the world. And we can't go off and try to attack it all. We think the best thing for us to do as a church is to narrow our focus significantly and be very targeted about the justice issues that we're going to go attack. And so this morning, I'm letting you know that as you've kind of noticed in all the existing partnerships that we have currently, there is a significant impact to children around the world. And we are becoming more focused and more targeted behind addressing the needs of children and orphans around the world. And we've been serious about that, and we're going to get much more serious about that. It's our hope that within this church there would be a great movement of care and concern for children and orphans worldwide. For some of you, that will mean maybe for the first time in your life, you will need to sponsor a child somewhere in the world, whether it be Uganda, maybe through World Vision, but God's going to lead you to maybe doing that for the first time. For some of you, maybe you are being moved into a position in life where you're going to be entrusted to adopt a child, either domestically or internationally. Um, We want to help you with that. Um, Right now in this church, there are at least 16 families that I know of that are currently involved in the process of adoption in some form or fashion, domestically, internationally, foster care, whatever it be. Uh, The basis is already there. This is stuff that we're already doing. It's just become very evident that we are now to narrow that focus and make it very much about children and orphans and addressing that issue of fatherlessness here in South Placer County and around the world. That's what we're going to do. And so in the coming days, you're going to be hearing more about this. But on July 8th, we're going to have kind of a foundational meeting at 1 o'clock in the, in the hub. 
And you can come, and it's just a brainstorm session. We want to hear from you. We want to involve you in this process as we kind of narrow this focus once again. And we want to invite you to come be a part of that. And so July 8th, 1 o'clock, in the hub, uh, just come and be a part of that brainstorming session as we try to get this, this orphan movement further off the ground here at Bridgeway. And then in August, we're going to dedicate an entire weekend to addressing uh, orphan care. Uh, We'll have a guest speaker here, which we're really excited about. And we're going to launch that whole ministry fully that weekend. So a lot more coming to you. But I want to make sure that we understand the why. If we can do anything this morning, I want to make sure we understand why we're so motivated behind the care and the concern of orphans. It's because we merely want to imitate Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, I thank you this morning that you're a great God who's just. Lord, that you're a God who's, who's not just just from afar, but Lord, you're just near and you're close. And Lord, you're going to guide us through this as we, as we follow you. And Lord, as I look at your word over and over and over again, Lord, I see how you have great care and compassion for, for orphans. And Lord, over and over and over again, I see how angry you become when they are not cared for. And so, Lord, we want to take that seriously. We want to say, Lord, we want to trust you and we want to follow you in this. Lord, I pray, Lord, that across this congregation, across this body, Lord, that that you would increase our mercy. You would increase our compassion. You would allow us to have moments where we can step in and actively pursue you in acts of justice. So, Lord, we love you. We trust you in it. In your name. Amen. Uh, Your challenge for this week. I want you to strongly consider what it is, and how God will use you in acts of justice and being a neighbor. Amen.